This episode of the YVR Screen Scene Podcast is sponsored by the Union of British Columbia Performers. UBCP is an autonomous branch of the Alliance of Canadian Cinema, Television, and Radio Artists. For more about UBCP Actra, visit ubcp.com. That's ubcp.com. Welcome to the YVR Screen Scene Podcast. I'm your host, Sabrina Furminger. My mission is to pull back the curtain on Vancouver's film and television industry and expose its beating heart, Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom style, by getting deep and down and a little dirty with the actors and filmmakers and other talented artists who do the work. Capital T, capital W. Today, I'm so excited! I am so excited. One, because it's my 50th episode. And two, because I get Michael Eklund in the YVR Screen Scene Studio. It's true. I'm it, here. It's true. Okay, I know you haven't listened before, but this is where I go into my thesis statement. I'm sorry. Okay, I'll, thanks. I'll be quiet. Thank you very much. Actors are good when they take direction. Okay, so Michael Eklund is an actor. But somehow that word doesn't seem to summarize what he does on screen and how he's able to move audiences. Adding award-winning to the descriptor doesn't really sum it up either. Honestly, it's hard to describe what it is that Michael Eklund does on screen in words. In order to appreciate what it is that Michael does, you have to watch him do his thing on screen. Because once you watch him, you'll see that this award-winning actor is one of the finest actors to ever pass through Vancouver. His filmography is vast and includes The Call, Continuum, Altered Carbon, Bates Motel, Gotham, Chokes, Chokeslam, which had, was uh, Niall Matter was in that as well. And he was yes, in he here was. a couple weeks ago and Shattered. Now, my two favorite Michael Eklund performances are, on the surface at least, wildly different. That of Edward Morbridge, the father of motion picture technology in the beautiful historic drama feature film Edward. And as one of the quartet of energy vampires called the Rowdy Three. Think about that math for a minute. In BBC America's cult favorite series, Dirk Gently's Holistic Detective Agency. So today, for our 50th episode, we're going to talk about the work with that capital T and capital W. We're going to talk about Michael Eklund's origin story. Because where does a guy like this come from? I don't know. And we're going to, well, you should know, because you're literally, that's why you're here. And we're going to talk about his most memorable roles and how this remarkable artist got from there to here. Michael Eklund. Where is here? (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Here is in the alley next to an organic grocery store. We are going to hear a bunch of beeping throughout. Our listeners are used to it. I'm sorry about that. It's been a long road from there to here. (laughs) (laughs) Michael Eklund, who I I feel like I have to call you by both names, although I know some people call you Mikey. Um, A lot of people call me Michael Eklund, the full name. The full name. It it has resonance. And it's, although when I meet you, I kind of want to call you Mikey because you are incredibly disarming. But you really are one of my most favorite actors I'm always intimidated to talk to you. Why? Uh, well, I mean, not right now. Oh. I'm not intimidated. Uh, a lot of it is because of the characters that you you play on screen. You know, I'm also in, intimidated to talk to Richard Harmon until I really sit down and talk to him because of those characters. Have because you of to him them, yet? Uh, he will be coming in. Okay, he will be coming in. I mean, I've talked to him a lot in the past, but you know, like just because of the the. I mean, you're not scared of quote unquote dark roles, scary no. scary roles. You know, so I kind of like I see you. I'm like, oh my god, there's Michael Eklund. He's walking around. And then I, then I talk to him like, oh, it's Mikey. Oh, it's just me, <laughs> just a big goofball. Um, I, so origin story is is very exciting to me. I love to g- get deep and figure out where where people come from. So can we start with some time travel? Let's go back in time. Shall Let's we? go back in time. Now, what is your time travel vehicle of choice? We got the we got the TARDIS. We got the DeLorean. We got the H.G. Wells time machine. We got the Bill and Ted phone booth. We can whip the Enterprise around the sun like they did in Voyage Home. That's true. Yeah. Superman can 
whizz around the earth and spin it backwards. We can do that. How about we just close our eyes okay. and use our imaginations? It's real life time travel. <laughs> it was 1980. Okay. I saw my first film when I was five years old. Do the math. Everybody wants to know how old I am? Well, there you go. Okay. Do the math. I was five. Um, my mom took me to my first film when I was five. Uh, she opened up the uh, Star Phoenix newspaper and she said, let's go to a matinee. And I didn't know what a matinee was. Yeah. <laughs> and so I was like, okay. And uh, she you said, okay, even though you didn't know. I didn't know. And she said, pick a movie. And so I picked a movie and the movie was uh, Lassie Come Home. Oh, okay. Yeah, it was about a dog. Remember Lassie? I remember Lassie. Um, not the movie I was expecting. No. Well, I was five. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I was know, a, but I just it was thought a different time. Back Michael then. Eklund would have watched <laughs> Alien, and then he would have been no. Well, no, was... that's later though. That's later because <laughs> we can get into that too. I never watched cartoons when I was a kid either. Okay. But uh, yeah, we went to so we got on the we got onto the bus and we went down to the movie theater. And I didn't know what to expect. And we walked into this uh, old school movie theater on uh, 20th Street in Saskatoon. And I remember walking in and I just thought it was magic right from the beginning. There was the ushers with the bow ties and the, the red carpet and the velvet seats. And, and the smell, right? And the smell of the popcorn. And, every, and I had never seen or experienced anything like that before. Yeah. And I was just in awe. My mom says my eyes were just wide as can be and I was just thrown into another world and had no idea what was about to happen yeah so we found our seats and they flipped down and I was just sitting in the darkness and then the lights turned on and the screen opened up and this story unfolded on screen and I was just mesmerized by magic yeah and by the time it was over I just said that whatever that was that I just experienced that's what I want to do and I didn't know if it meant on screen or off screen, but whatever that was, yeah. was magic. Yeah. And it uh, teleported me into another world. Yeah. Once you've had that transformative moment, it's hard to go back. And yet at the same time, you're still a kid on the prairies, you on know? The prairie. And it was just, it was something that I can honestly say was, it changed my life. Yeah. Seeing my first film. And then I fell in love with movies ever since. Yeah. So from then on, from five on, I just wanted to be an actor. Yeah. But coming from Saskatoon, it's uh, it's not very, uh, it's probably not the best possible dream to have coming from the prairies. Yeah. How do you do it? And so I spent the next 20 years basically trying to pursue whatever that was and getting to that. And so I would audition for every school play, never got a role. Uh, was told never to be an actor. Um, oh yeah, I could tell you. So many acting coaches told me I should. I'll never work. Wow. Yeah, I won't name them. No, I mean it's. <laughs> what's amazing though about that is that they're from Vancouver. I mean, oof, oof. Oh, yeah. I, I, I almost feel though. Like that's almost part of the magic of your story too, not getting cast, people telling you not to do it, and yet you're still, because of the magic, you're holding tight to it and you're pursuing it, and it's, I'm just trying to make your story into a movie, I, I guess. I just didn't believe anyone. Yeah. I, I it's always came from a belief that people don't, they're not allowed to tell you what you get to do, or yeah. what you wanna do, or what you wanna believe. You do. And so I kind of just, uh, every time I heard no, it just kind of fueled me even more. Because yeah. I just always knew that this was what I wanted to do. Yeah. Funny enough, it's not what I did. I went to school and then I went to art school. Oh. Yeah. I studied to be a painter. Oh. So after I uh, graduated high school and I still wanted to be an actor, I still didn't know how. So I went to art school instead. Because I had so many people telling me that it wasn't possible. You know, I even had a, a, a girlfriend's parents once tell me that acting is for special people. And hmm. you're not special. Dun dun dun. Oh, these are all very <laughs> cinematic lines. Um, I just find it amazing, though, that you know, because a, a career in the visual arts uh, to to make a real success of it as well, it's not like it's any easier no. than acting. No, pe people have people are funny. This yeah. is what I've learned in my short time here on Earth. People are funny. They're funny people, and uh, they only know what they know. Yeah. And so. Uh, they try to pass on their wisdom to you, which is completely 
the wrong kind. And uh, yeah, I was told that it was for special people. I wasn't special and that uh, I didn't care anyway. I, yeah. I still wanted to try. If it wasn't for special people, then there's got to be a lot of unspecial actors out there still acting. So I wanted to be one of them. Yeah. But uh, turns out you don't have to be that special. You just have to uh, love doing what you do. Yeah. yeah. Did you have any any positive voices, supportive voices? My mom. Mom. Yeah. Yeah. I remember driving out of Saskatoon when I made the choice. I went to art school and then I uh, I dropped out. Uh, I think I was at the top of my class and uh, the art school I was going to called me and said I was making a huge mistake and that I had a, I had a future and a career in art as a painter. And uh, I said, no, I'm going to go be an actor. And they said, you're making a huge mistake. You're, you're, you're one of the top students we have at the school. And I said, that's okay. I got to go see about this. And so uh, me and my uh, wife at the time, well, we weren't married yet. We moved to Vancouver uh, to become actors. And we, I think we had $1,000 in our pocket. And we put everything we had in a U-Haul truck. And we drove out to Vancouver to be actors. Wow. And we thought we were loaded. Then we learned that we were broke. And that was the <laughs> beginning. And uh, yeah, I got You a, had belief, though. You know, you had like... We didn't know what the heck we were doing. I mean, that's something, that's too. <laughs> no, that's power. <laughs> that's, yeah. That's huge power. When you have no idea what you're doing, no training, no education, no experience in, in this profession whatsoever, and then getting to Vancouver and then trying to make it work, that's when you need street smarts. Yeah. And that's when coming from Saskatoon is a benefit. Okay, we have listeners that are located all over this planet. Uh, can you paint a picture of of Saskatoon and specifically the what it was like when you were growing up there? Well, for everyone, it's different, I'm sure. For me, it was uh, Saskatoon is a beautiful city. I love Saskatoon. It's uh, it's my home. It's my uh, where I grew up. My family's still there, so I love it very much. But I was one of those students that was always uh, daydreaming, mm. dreaming to get out. And uh, again, another little story. My mom told me recently that uh, she knew I was always going to be the one that left because she said she remembers taking me downtown on the city bus. And I was just looking out the window, looking at all the, the buildings, which are only go up to like six floors in Saskatoon. Yeah. <laughs> and she says, your eyes were just wide. And, and I asked my mom, when can I come back down here? And my mom said, you can come down here whenever you want. We can come here whenever you feel like it. And I said, when can I come here alone? And I was like five or six. And she said she knew I was going to leave and look for the bigger city eventually. Yeah. And I did. And uh, so in high school, I was picked on. I was bullied. I was in the arts. I went to a school that was uh, that was more of a, a sports-oriented high school. Yeah. So I got my ass kicked a lot. And... Uh, that taught me a lot. That taught me a lot. And, uh, but I just kept going. Yeah. I just kept going. Uh, what did getting your ass kicked teach you? Because you repeated, that taught me a lot, twice. Well, <laughs> bullying's changed since I was a kid. Yeah. You know, we didn't have uh, school shootings and that kind of stuff. So I, I really <sighs> identify with w what happens in those settings t in today's world. Um, those thoughts always go through your head. You yeah. want to always get those guys at school. Um, we went more with the stink bomb approach, you know, or the uh, rotten egg approach. <laughs> That's what we went with. But, uh, yeah, um, I was in the arts. I was picked on. But, uh, you know, I just kind of felt sorry for the kids that were picking on me. Yeah. Cause wow, that's a very <laughs> mature, profound thought to have, especially when you're in the midst of bullying and being traumatized. I just always understood that they didn't know what they were doing. I always knew it came out of their own insecurities and their own issues. Yeah. And they felt like uh, it made them feel better to pick on some little art geek. Yeah. So they did. But it made me strong. And uh, those those uh, experiences, I took them into this business. and Because you, you you're going to have to be strong because you're going to get kicked around in this business as well. Yeah. And so uh, I related to the same thing. Yeah. yeah. If you could give some advice to that, to 15-year-old Michael Eklund, Mikey. If you could go, like, because, you know, we have the 
we're closing our eyes and imagining ourselves oh, we're back. Oh, still closing there. our eyes. Mine yeah. were open this whole time. So <laughs> you can open them now. <laughs> oh wow! <laughs> Thank you so are. much. Um, yeah, but if you if you could get, go back and give yourself some advice in those moments, would you give yourself any advice, or would you would you not say anything at I all? I wouldn't. I wouldn't touch myself. Yeah. I wouldn't. I wouldn't even go near it. I would just uh, let that version of me continue where he was going because uh, he always knew. Yeah. He always knew. How did you find, um, what was your introduction to Vancouver, to the Vancouver film and television scene like? My first introduction was my first job when I first got here with my $1,000 in my pocket, Mm -hmm. realized I was broke, I realized I needed a job. And so my first job was I was a telemarketer selling theater tickets, making cold calls for eight hours a day. Cold calls. Oh, so that was my introduction to the uh, entertainment business. And Uh I thought, as long as I'm selling theater tickets, it's 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 in the same world of what I want to do. Yeah. So it's something. But cold calls. Cold calls, and I knew, I knew this is how this is how it begins. You have to start at the bottom. Yeah. You have to start at the very bottom, selling theater tickets, making cold calls for eight hours. But it was still something. Yeah. And so I did that. I'm in show business. I did that for six months. Yeah. Six months before I quit. And I remember on my break, the office was on Broadway Street. And I remember if you cracked the window just in a certain way, I could see downtown. I Mm -hmm. could see this downtown city lights. And I thought, that's where I want to be. Yeah. (laughs) So... (laughs) I'm going to tell you a lot of weird stories. So I, uh, <laughs> so I quit being a telemarketer selling uh, theater tickets, and I thought I need to make some real money because I wanted to get headshots, and I knew you needed an agent, I think. I think that's what you do when you want to be an actor. Yeah. And I didn't know anything. Yeah. And so uh, I got a job as a, in the room service department at the Four Seasons. Wow. Downtown. Okay. Yeah. So I applied for the job. They called me, and uh, I read in a book somewhere that if you if you answer all the questions in full sentences, then uh, then your application will be uh, they'll they'll take more notice of it. So I did, and they did. They called me, and they're like, "We'd like to bring you in for a job interview." So I came in for the job interview, and then right away they sent me down to the room service department, and I met with the room service manager and had a quick interview with him and then he says we need somebody quick so he sent me up to like the 30th floor to meet the food and beverage director and here's little mikey Eklund from the prairies and i'm in like a really bad suit wearing army boots yeah. and a really bad haircut and i walk up to the, the 30th floor and i walk into the office and this very intimidating boss was sitting behind a desk in a suit he looked like a politician and he looked at me and he just shook his head and he was like no <laughs> And I said, no what? And he's like, sit down. And so he sat down. He's like, why do you think I should hire you for this job? And I said, well, I really need the money. I just got to Vancouver. I'm really looking for a job. I'm a hard worker. And he said, look at you. Look at you. I'll never hire you just based on how you look. And I was like, okay. And he's like, you can leave now. And I almost want to say his name, but I won't. But uh, so I left his office and I went back down to room service and I told the uh, manager that the interview went very well and that he said uh, that I started tomorrow. And so I started the next day (laughs) and it took took that food and beverage director four months before he realized that I didn't, that he didn't hire me, but I'd been working there for four months (laughs) that uh, I was past my probation. They couldn't fire me. Wow. Yeah. And so... uh, Oh, my God. Yeah. Whenever I met people of authority that abused it, I kind of used it against them. Uh, so. I, I'm completely stressed out by this story. But I guess I also, I, I, what I find amazing, though, is that you you almost described uh, stories that I've heard about casting, you know, and like really bad auditions and, and those kind of things as well. Like that was a a moment. Like have you have you used that same kind of attitude in in the business no because in this business i found people more like myself because now i'm in the arts yeah right now i'm surrounded by my people yeah um i'm sure there's 
you know, people abuse their power in this business. I've just had a very fortunate career where I've worked with a lot of great people. Yeah. Yeah. When when did you find the um the tides turning then? When did some of that magic start to to open itself to you? In this business? Yeah. When I got my agent. And can we can we shout out your agent? <laughs> She'll love this story, too. Uh, my agent <laughs> is uh, the fabulous and amazing Deb Dillastone. Deb Dillastone. Yeah. We have a lot of love for her here. I've been begging her to come and uh, sit in that chair, and she refuses. Oh, she refuses. Yeah. <laughs> chicken. Chicken. She told me I should do it, so yeah. I, she should do it, too. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, I, I, after working at the Four Seasons for five years. Whoa! Five years I worked there. Um, I was like, well, about two years in, I was like, okay, now I have some money. I should, I should get into this business because it's been two years now. I've been in Vancouver and I didn't, I didn't know what to do. So I started hanging around actors. I mean, because the Four Seasons, especially back in the day, back in the day, back in the day. I mean, it was it was a a very big film and television hotel, right? Like just well, like the Sutton Place as well. Like these are yeah, hotels where hung out there. Yeah, I took them room service. Yeah. I have a lot of room service stories. Yeah, I about bet taking, you do. <laughs> I would put on the I would put on the uh, the the uniform because I wanted to meet all the actors. So I met McConaughey and I met Sean Penn. I met the Spice Girls and I met all these cool people. Yeah, Ben Affleck and uh, I just studied them. Yeah, when I walked into the room, when I took them the room service, I just watched them. And uh, <laughs> they're like, "You can leave now. You've been here staring at <laughs> me for leave. ten minutes already." I just hid under the bed and just <laughs> stared at them. No, you can learn a lot about them in the five minutes you're setting up their order. Yeah, but uh, so eventually I just started hanging out with actors and I started listening. I started listening to what actors talked about and what uh, they were interested in. Again, I had no experience. I had nothing. And I kept hearing this name, Deb Dillastone. Deb mm. Dillastone. Deb Dillastone. Deb Dillastone. Deb Dillastone. And I was like, I heard she was the best. And so I was like, well, then I want the best because that's what I want. Yeah. And that's when I started my, uh, my wooing process of Deb Dillastone. And so I, uh, I went and got some really bad headshots. <laughs> but you thought they were good. Right? I thought they were great. <laughs> and uh, I sent them to her office with like basically a blank piece of paper because I had no resume. And I got a very polite and kind rejection saying, no, uh, not interested, but stay in touch. And when you tell me to stay in touch, I take that very literal. Yeah. <laughs> so I did. So the first of the next month, I sent my uh, headshot again with a little card attached saying, I'm still looking for an agent. And she sent another polite rejection saying, no, not interested, but stay in touch. And I was like, oh, she said, stay in touch. I better stay in touch. <laughs> the third month, I got another rejection. And then the fourth month, I sent her a bouquet of flowers. <laughs> With my headshot and another card that said, I'm still looking for an agent, and you're the one. And she got the flowers. And I spent a lot of money on yeah, those flowers. Yeah, I bet. I didn't have a lot of money, but I spent a lot of money on those flowers, Deb, if you're listening. <laughs> and uh, she sent another polite rejection saying, no, but thank you. Stay in touch. She kept like, saying, stay in touch. She didn't tell me to stay in touch. I wouldn't have stayed in touch. Yeah. But she kept saying, stay in touch. She so on the sixth month. Well, what are we on now? Fifth month. In those brief conversations I had with her, I learned that uh, she, uh, one of her favorite uh, novels was Great Expectations by mm. Charles Dickens, which is also one of mine. And so I took the rest of the money I had in my pocket and I went down to an old bookstore and I bought like a old antique edition copy of Great Expectations. And I put it in a box and I bought a balloon. <laughs> I sent it to her office. And I had another card on there saying, I'm still on the streets <laughs> looking for an agent, and you're the one. And she called me, and I'll never forget this call. She said, very clever, very clever of you. How did you know my favorite book was Great Expectations? And I said, well, an actor's job is to listen. I listened. And she was like, clever. She said, like, okay. Well, I'd be an asshole if I didn't meet you at least. And I was like, yes, you would. So she set up a meeting and I went down to meet Deb and uh, she made me cold read 
uh, a scene. And she asked if I wanted to do a comedy scene or a dramatic scene. And I told her, if I can't make you laugh, then I'm screwed. Mm. So I took a, a dramatic scene, and I can't cold read. I still can't. And so I memorized it quickly and performed it in her room, in her office. And uh, she told me she'd let me know by the end of the week. And she never did. She never called. So then on Monday, I called her, and she said, okay, give me another week. And uh, she didn't call. So then on the final Monday, right before, uh, I think it was December of 1999, (laughs) she says, okay, you're not going anywhere, are you? And I said, no, I'm not going anywhere. And she's like, all right, okay, I'm going to take a risk on you because you have no experience. You have no training. You don't know, you don't even know what you're doing. (laughs) And I said, nope, I have no clue. And she's like, okay, I'll take you on January 1st of 2000. And that was, uh, gosh, 19 years ago now. Wow. And she's my first, only, and will be my only agent. Wow. Yeah. You know that everybody's going to be sending her balloons That's and why flowers she hates and books That's now. Wow. That is, yeah. that's a beautiful relationship story, though. On a prairie boy who knew nothing. Yeah. And uh, I owe a lot to, to that woman. Amazing. And so when, can, can I ask you though, the, the whole time that's that you're, that's my origin story. That is, that's, that is, be, like that's a love story. That is beautiful. Conned that is a love story. Conned my way into the Four Seasons, lied my way into <sighs> here, bought my way, bribed and sent flowers and books and But things. there's passion, there's earnestness. I am never going to look at you the same way again. I'm not going to be like, oh my God, they're scary Michael Ecklinges. No. no, I'm like, this is a man who loves it so much, and he just goes for it. I love and this business. I can tell. I, I, I just I do have a question though about um about the magic, okay. uh, and because you know you, you you saw that magic on screen. You pursued that magic your first years in Vancouver and all through high school. When when did you first feel it like? In like as an actor, like what, when were some of those first moments where, where you just reveled in it, and you're like, I am tapping into this energy right now, and I am living, the dream. Oh boy, oh boy. Because I'm, I'm also. I'm like, gonna give you a choice. It's, it's gonna be. Uh, <laughs> choose, choose your own, own adventure? adventure. Okay, okay. There's the story my where I booked my very first movie, and I was fired. Okay. Before Deb, before I moved to Vancouver, this is in Saskatoon. Okay. Where I thought I was breaking into that magic, and I was on set, and then I got fired. Yeah. Because they cast the wrong actor. I showed up, and they wanted somebody else, and they uh, realized that they kind of just told the story right now, but yeah. <laughs> now I want the other story. <laughs> and it shattered me. Yeah. That's part of the business too, getting shattered. So yeah. that was part of it. But what you're asking, I think, is. I think that hit me when I was shooting the call. That really? Moment. Yeah. Call was not your first project. No, that was twelve years into my career. Yeah. The first ten years was trading. Mm. I called that my school. Yeah. Because since I didn't have, you know, education or training, the first ten years of being on set was, was my, uh, was my schooling. You're doing a lot of listening. Oh, a lot of listening. <laughs> I didn't tell anybody I didn't know what I was doing. But I learned quickly. Yeah. I learned. So then it was around the call, which was we shot that in 2011. So, yeah, 10 years into the career. I was, I booked this amazing movie and this amazing opportunity on this film that we shot in Los Angeles. So just getting to shoot a film in Los Angeles, which was very rare nowadays. Yeah. To get to shoot a film in Los Angeles with the actors that I was working with, with like Halle Berry and Abigail Breslin, who were just amazing, mm. with the director Brad Anderson, who's an amazing director. I caught myself once on set, just kind of sitting there in the middle of the night, I think it was like 2 a.m., and Halle's sitting over there and Abigail's sitting over there and I'm sitting in my chair. And the light was just hitting kind of like the Hollywood sign for that perfect magic moment. Mm-hmm. And I just thought, what the hell? How the heck did I get here? How did I do it? How did I how did I pull this off? I'm just from Saskatoon. I'm not special. Just like they told me. But somehow I'm sitting here on set with these amazing people and I pulled this dream off somehow. 
And I knew right then that if it all stopped, if someone came and just, you know, pulled the rug from under me and said, this is it, I was good because yeah. I did it. I did it. After that moment, whatever happened after that was bonus. Yeah. Yeah. Do you really feel like you conned yourself into this though? Like, I mean, there's, I, I mean, yeah, there's blind belief and then there's, you know, yeah, okay, I'm going to send flowers you know, and whatever. But I mean, there's also, there's, there's talent and there is calling. I didn't well. say I conned myself into the business. <laughs> I, I, I had to pull some strings to get it going. Okay. But once you're on set, you, you can't, you can't fake your way. Yeah. You know, when, once between the words action and cut, you better know what you're doing. Yeah. Okay. Especially on a film like that. Yeah. You can't be winging it. You can't be faking it. You're not. They're gonna see right through you. Yeah. Um, but to so there's no imposter syndrome or anything. Like it's there was a hustle to get into it, but then. Listen, I'll I'll tell you this. Any actor I've worked with, from big to small, from I've you know actors like Pacino or anyone like Sam Rockwell I worked with even recently. Every actor I've worked with, the common denominator is we're all insecure. Hmm. Nobody knows what they're doing. We're all just doing our best yeah. and figuring it out as we go. Yeah. We have some tools in our toolbox and we have some techniques that we picked up along the way to save our butts on set. But uh, at the end of the day, we're, we're all just making it up yeah. as we go. So that that is part of it. It yeah. is part of it. So... Yeah, there was a lot of uh, uh, early moment trickery just yeah. to get the ball rolling. But uh, again, coming from the prairies with nothing, you kind of have an obstacle. Yeah. And so uh, I, I, I call it persistence. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I think if I were to write a book about you, I'd call it Chasing Magic. Chasing Magic. Yeah. yeah. So what about these days then? Like what is, what are, what, what is a magical moment for you in your in your work in my work yeah recently yeah or, or what, what am i chasing now yeah i'm chasing that same moment it's the same feeling that same feeling of magic it's just harder to find now because it's not as new anymore oh. before it was new you didn't know if you could do it then you realized oh i can do it how long can i do it yeah now i've been doing it for 20 years now I'm like, okay, I've done it this long. Now it's the role. Can I even pull this off? Yeah. And then you pull a role off that you didn't think that you could, and you're like, okay, I can do that. Now you're chasing the next challenge. Yeah. Or the next step. Or I call it graduation. You're always trying to graduate to the next level. So I'm chasing that. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the magic now is, well, how far can I go? Yeah. What is reality? What what is realistic, you know? And uh, now it's just getting a lot. Now I'm in the place now where it's just a lot of fun. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So tell me about some of the, like I told you, and all the listeners, my my favorite two. I mean, there's so many performances I've loved. I mean, even a performance in like What an Idiot, where you're like uh, Peter Benson's brother, even oh, yeah. like that is 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 really funny. Although I don't necessarily think of you as a comedic I love actor, comedy. but I can tell that was that was very funny. Um, I did comedy for a long time. Yeah, like a, it was just goofy, silly comedy, and yeah. I felt, and I got to a point where I just felt like a clown. Yeah. And again, and it get, comes back to Deb. I remember being on a set of this children's show and just not happy with where my career was going. Yeah. Happy, I was working. Very yeah. grateful. Always, always grateful. Don't ever uh, question. Like, I'm, I'm so grateful Gratitude every day. Gratitude is I'm so important. So huge. But it's still a direction because I wanted to be a serious actor. Yeah. And an actor. So, an actor. And so then I text Deb. I'm like, this is, I'm, I'm done. I'm done doing, I'm, I'm, no, I'm, I'm nobody's clown. Uh, I want to do serious work. Yeah. And then that started the process of the really dark, intense stuff that I've been doing for the last half of my career now. Yeah. Yeah. Which has put me in more of the direction that I, I wanted to be in. Yeah. But I still love comedy. Yeah. I still love it. Well, I mean, even in a role like, uh, like Martin on, um, 
uh, Dirk Gently, that was, I mean, there's a darkness there. You're literally an energy vampire. But the interplay between the four members of the Rowdy Three was so fun fun. and funny. I mean, we did have Viv in here uh, last week, and he talked about just the, the joy of being part of that of that group. We loved going to set on that show. We yeah. loved being, you know, the rowdy three. There's four <laughs> of us, but there's three. The math. And it was such Don't a, think about the math. Such a fun <laughs> show. That And there was a lot of comedy. A lot yeah. of humor in it. Um, I would love to go back and do more comedy. So now you feel comfortable then at this point in your career going back well, I still won't be someone's to... clown. Yeah. No, no. No, no, no. But I love doing comedy. <laughs> yeah. I just want to... Uh, you know, a lot of people go like, you know, you've made a career on doing bad guys. Yeah. Um, I don't see it that way. I know that's what a lot of people have, I'm known for, but in reality, it's more like it's a 50-50 split. Yeah. I play a lot of good guys, play a lot of bad guys, play a lot of good guys, a lot of bad guys, but it's just the bad guys are memorable. Mm. People remember those roles. People remember those performances because they're the most fun to play. Yeah. But, uh, and the comedies that I've done recently, this haven't picked up any steam that people have seen so but they're out there yeah yeah if you want to laugh you want to have a laugh with not at with michael yeah. eklund those comedies are are there well there's some out there you'll laugh at and with yeah <laughs> <laughs> uh, you, you didn't mention about the, the joy of of playing a villain playing a bad guy like can, can you talk oh, a little bit more about that this the special joy like what makes it so fun okay I've I've had to really think about this a lot because it comes up a lot, and he, and here's how I approach bad guy roles. I don't see them as bad guy roles. I really don't. There's good guy roles. There's bad guy roles on the paper on the surface, but in my mind, it's they're all they're equal. Because when you play a bad guy, and I'm just saying the, I hate using the word bad guy for one thing, but for the sake of conversation. A meanie. Um, a meanie. Uh, uh, a, a complicated, a, a challenging personality. personality. Well, I mean, okay, so but like for, the character Stan no, from Into the Forest. I mean, that was somebody who was not very nice. That one's coming up a lot lately. And so uh, it's interesting. It's okay, a wonderful, yeah. It is a wonderful film. Okay, so let's talk Stan. Let's it, talk Stan. Okay, Into the Forest. Now here's a, here's a <laughs> I'm trying to figure out how... Uh, Oh, uh, behind the scenes, we want to go on this one. But I got a call from a friend, a very well-known actor who uh, is in the film. Okay. And um, he plays the father. His okay. Name's Keith Rennie. Yeah, of course. <laughs> and uh, he's a great friend of mine. And I was on a road trip with my dog driving back to Saskatoon to visit my mom. And I was like four hours outside of Saskatoon, and I get a phone call from Callum, and he's like, Hey man, what are you doing? I'm like, I'm on the road with my dog. He's like, you better turn around. I got a job for you. And I go, what is it? He's like, well, doing this movie Into the Forest with uh, Ellen Page and Evan Rachel Wood, and uh, we need we need somebody for this uh, role, and uh, we can't find any actor who wants to play it. I go, what is it? He goes, well, it's it's a pretty dark role, and uh, he does a lot of bad things to uh, one of the characters in the film. And I'm like, so? And he's like, you want to do it? And I won't say what I do, because I don't want to spoil the movie, but you can say it if you want. Well, it's, no, I don't want to spoil it either. <laughs> but it, it was, it, it, I mean, it is a beautiful film. It was the BC Spotlight film at uh, the Vancouver International Film Festival a few years ago. We so we got to see the really bad thing that, uh, that Michael Eklund does on a very big screen. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. So I said, he told me what it was that the, the character is and what he does. And I was like, and he's like, oh, yeah, you know, nobody wants to play this role. I'll do it. He's like, I told them you'd be the guy. I told them that I know a guy who's going to do it. And I was like, yeah, sure, of course. So you didn't have any? No, because this is where it gets complicated for how actory you want to get. But. For me, I consider it a responsibility for the type of actor that they're going to get to play that role. Yeah. Because if I come on and do that, and I don't love playing those roles. I don't want to make a career out of playing those roles. But if I'm going to take the job of playing that role, then I also come to set with responsibility of being someone's scene partner. Right. And that's a safety relationship that we have to have. Yeah. And a lot of actors don't bring that to set. And so I knew if I was going to do it, everybody was going to feel very 
at ease, very calm. Yeah. Me and Evan, Evan Rachel Wood um, would work together, and I would take care of her. Yeah. I knew that's. Well, I feel I, comforted at least knowing knowing that. I mean, I guess there's also the fact that I mean, as awful like it is awful what Stan does, um, but people do that in life. People like Stan exist. There are people like Stan. There are a lot of people like Stan or people who do things that that Stan does. Some, uh, so it's like it's we we can't. I mean, in, the movie is gonna be made. Yeah. Okay. Somebody's gonna play the role. It's not like if nobody plays the role, the movie's going to get canned. Somebody's going to play it. So it might as well be me. Yeah. Because at least if I come on, I'm going to do it out of, with a lot of respect for the other actor. Yeah. And so I worked a lot with Evan, and we worked it out, and it was very safe. Yeah. And we did this very intense physical scene together, and it came out great. Yeah. And is it important for you as the actor to have empathy or compassion for? A character like Stan? Of course. That's what I was about to say. That's why they're equal to me. Good guys are bad guys for the yeah. sake of the conversation. A bad guy doesn't know he's a bad guy. Right. So if I'm going to play that role, whenever I wake up and I put on the clothes and I go to work, in my mind, and this is where we can get a little accurate, Mike, Mikey goes away. Okay. So I, le- I leave him at home. And now I put on the suit, the skin suit of this character. Yeah. And so I bristled at skin suit. Skin suit. The <laughs> it body. sounded a little bit serial killery. <laughs> the body. You, yeah. I, you, I rent I rent myself out to the production. Yeah. Um, my imagination, my soul, my whatever you want to call it, hmm. while I play that role. And so when you're playing that bad guy role, quotations, bad guy, he doesn't know he's a bad guy. He yeah. wakes up every day feeling like the hero. So in my mind, I'm the hero of the movie Right. when I'm playing that guy. So if I'm playing the guy, Michael Foster, in The Call with Halle Berry, I'm the hero of the film, according to my character. Right. So, of course, I don't judge any of my characters. They don't know how bad they are. Yeah. They think they're doing the right thing. That's how you have to play them. Right. And then putting in a lot of humanity and empathy into the character because they're human. They're not monsters. Yeah. They're people. They have feelings. They have dreams. They have hopes. They have obstacles. They have desires, just like anybody else. It's just that they're doing really bad things. Awful things. That they Awful think are stuff. right. Yeah. Yeah. And if you look around in today's world, who is good? Who is bad now? Yeah. Look around. The lines are getting blurred. Does that change how you move through this world then? Like having to go and, and put it on those kind of skin suits, you know? And then you're like, you're you're in other situations in the quote unquote real world and you're like... You you have more compassion or empathy for somebody who's like you know giving you a hard time or. Well, here's the thing. Now you get back and you put yourself back into my Michael oh, yeah. head. <laughs> I have no sympathy and empathy for those people. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Now we're in the real world. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Um, when I'm playing them, that's different. The story has to be told. In the real world, it's good versus evil. I I know I'm I'm on the side of the good. I know I've picked my side a long time ago. Yeah. But for storytelling, that's different. But. I don't have sympathy or empathy for those characters in real life, but I understand them. Mm. I give a lot of my friends advice on douchey behavior. I'll tell you that. <laughs> okay, we're we're gonna take a break. <laughs> take a break. I, I I need to go walk around outside and unpack all of this. Oh uh, when we come back, we're gonna talk about those friends. I said we're not good. We don't do a gossip podcast, but I'll gossip. Yeah. Okay. We'll totally gossip. Okay. Richard Harmon, Lee Stube, We're gonna talk about the ball. No, but we're gonna talk about the importance of of community uh, to you in the work that you do, and we're also gonna talk about Bobo and okay. uh, and the kind of um, adventures that you are having meeting fans at Love conventions. To. Okay. That's that's a good cliffhanger, right? Yeah, I gotta pee. Okay. <laughs> well, okay. Hold on. We'll take that break. Hiring professional performers makes all the difference to the success of any recorded media project. Did you know that the Union of BC Performers, ACTRA, provides agreements for all budgets and types of productions, including commercials, TV series and movies, feature films, from big budget to Canadian indies and student films, animation series, video games, web series, and even streaming video on demand, like Netflix? 
For instance, our highly successful UBCP ACTRA Ultra Low Budget Agreement encourages and facilitates artistic collaboration between professional performers and independent producers who wish to produce very low budget or even no budget productions. No matter what your budget, we've got you covered, and you too can benefit from UBCP ACTRA's award-winning world-class performers. So, if you need actors, voiceover artists, stunt coordinators, stunt performers, singers, dancers, puppeteers, stand-ins, background performers, ranging across any age or demographic, then just contact us at UBCP Actra. Make your project the very best that it can be. This message was read by a UBCP Actra member. Go to ubcp.com for more information. You feel good now? <sighs> I feel great. Okay. That was a that was pretty intense. You almost didn't make it. Um, I want to talk about. Wow, well, you're gonna gonna drink some more, eh? Keep, I'm gonna start building that back up. Um, you, you mentioned you mentioned friends, and uh, I know that um, that you're a sounding board uh, for a lot of actors, and you you're part of a community. Uh, I mean, I'm thinking about Lee Majdoub. He he spoke about you at length when Who? he went. <laughs> hey Lee. Hi Lee. I just set up lunch with him, like, right before I came here to do your interview. Oh. Yeah. Well, I didn't get an invitation. That's well, totally fine. Whatever. There's still time. Uh, <laughs> uh, but, you know, what, um, because when you came here to Vancouver, I don't mean to the office today, but when you came, when you arrived in Vancouver, I mean, it was pretty much, you know, you and your partner and no one else, right? So tell me about your four-way foray into the community and and the way that you help each other and derive strength from each other because i mean it's one of the things that i love most about covering this community secretly me too yeah i love our community <laughs> we do oh yeah it was like uh your you know, smile's huge i don't think i've ever seen you smile that big I before smile a lot it's just people don't ever they, 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 usually like smoldering in the corner somewhere but no i mean it is a source of joy for you taken. yeah Got a smolder when you get your picture taken. Nobody wants to see your big stupid smile, Mikey. Anyway, it's a nice smile. It Listen, is a nice smile. talk about the community. Okay. Talk, tell me, tell me about the you know your foray. I want to try that word again into into the community here and and why you love it so much okay. and how it helps the work. I think it does. Look, when I first got here, I again didn't know anything, didn't know anyone, didn't have any friends. It took a long time to like break into the Vancouver scene, as the they scene. call it, and uh, it is a scene. Yeah, there's there's a there's a clique, there's a group here. But I knew I wanted to be in it. Yeah, and if I could get this <laughs> far, then I can break my in, myself into it. And uh, and again, you know, Callum, great friend of mine. He he was part of that. I I looked up to that guy. You know, he was like he's Canada's finest in my mind. I wait. I just have a follow up question that you just remind me. Did you did you and your dog get to go and see your mom, or did you actually drive around and go back to film the movie? I went to Saskatoon. Okay, good, good. Sorry. I told my mom I booked a movie. She said you're gonna have to turn it down because you just got here, and I said I can't. Oh. I promised a buddy that I would do it, and so I stayed a couple days. And okay. Okay. Good. Sorry. You, you yeah. just my left mom's me hanging. Forgiven me for. That's good. I'm a mom. I get it too. Yeah. Okay. Please continue. Um, <laughs> But uh, yeah, and so then I remember seeing Callum at like the Leo Awards and stuff like that. And he was always just this like awesome influence in my life in this business. And I just wanted to like get close to him. So yeah. every time I would see him go outside for like a, a breath of fresh air or a smoke or whatever, I'd be like, well, I, I got to go talk to him. Yeah. And so uh, and then the years would go on, the years would go on. And I finally found myself kind of breaking into this scene. And it was only through work, you know. They'll only accept you if you're working. Mm. The honest truth is uh, when you're working and you start, and it's it's not that mystical of a process. It's when you work, you, you get to know people very well and very closely on set. Oh, you're spending a lot of time with yeah. each other, sitting around waiting. You bond a lot. Yeah. You become friends. All my friends are people I've worked with. Yeah. You know, if I didn't have the career I have... I would have no friends. <laughs> so uh, that's that's incredible, it's but sad. it's sad. But, no, but you're uh, meeting but them through your passion. You're meeting them through your passion, yeah. and, and, and the thing is, I've 
again, going back to the old days of school, I never felt like I really belonged anywhere. Maybe that's why I got picked on and bullied and I wasn't in the sports and I was an art geek and I kind of have always been searching for that community, which is kind of what you find in the theater world. Yes. Right? But I never fell in love with the magic of theater. It was film. Yeah. So we still have the same community that uh, theater people have. It's just that ours are just brief. Yeah. You know, we, we work together on a project for a day or two, maybe a week, if you're lucky, a month, and you become very close with those people. Yeah. And you share a lot. And I met people for the first time who were as crazy as me. So you... Uh, You're like, here are the artsy yeah, weirdos, my people. Found them finally. Where were you guys? Oh, you were making <laughs> movies. Oh, darn. Or, or it's like before you get the work, right? You're just like, there's a, how do you get in? You I, know, it's a well, lot of like, how do I, how do I make Before I started working, I was, I hung around acting classes. Ah. I just hung out. I was, I was a, a lurker. <laughs> I would just hang out in acting classes and just like, and then I tried acting classes for a little bit. And for me, they, they didn't work very well, but, uh, but, uh, but the actors still hung out there. And so I still got to be surrounded by people who thought like me, who felt like me, who, dreamt like me yeah and I started becoming friends there that was the beginning and we were all kind of starting out at the same time all of us yeah and uh and then as through the process get the agent I found Deb I started working and then slowly it was a slow climb into building your career and uh and your life yeah because it's it's not just a job a lot of people say acting is a job, and it is a job, but it's also a life. Yeah. It is a lifestyle. And yeah. some actors will will disagree with me, but then there's a lot that will understand what I mean by that. And it is a it is a life. Yeah. It is a, you're, 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 you're giving yourself, you're giving your life to this work. Yeah. Because it is. It's a lifestyle. It's a lifestyle choice. Yeah. Because you don't clock out at nine to five. Yeah, it I, stays with you 24-7 every day for the rest of your life. Yeah. You don't escape it until you want to leave the business. Yeah. And uh, and then even when you leave the business. You just want to come back. Yeah. So. I had um I had uh, Jason Borkin here Love Jason. yesterday. And he said something uh, along the lines of, I don't have any hobbies because when you're doing something that feels like play, you don't you don't need to have hobbies yeah it's one of my hardest questions to answer is what interests do you have outside yeah. of business and i'm like uh, i like to travel yeah like everybody uh-huh. um but it's true uh when your job is kind of like your hobby it is your passion it is what you sink all your time and energy and imagination into and just your passion you don't really have much other brain function to even <laughs> take on another hobby yeah you know yeah so well I guess my question would then be like how do you decompress or what are you watching <laughs> do you play video games yeah going to the movies yeah which is still in the business. Yeah, chasing the magic, just in other I, ways. Well, it, but it's true. What it does, when I go to the movies, and I still love going to those matinees, yeah. they recharge the magic. Yeah. Because I can sit down. I went to the Joker the other night, and it was like I was five, year old, five yeah. years old again. And it was like, ah, magic. Yeah. And that recharged that, that reason why you even got into this in the first place, that 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 initial first moment of why you're doing this that's it watching just a film on the screen just uh mesmerized you for two hours yeah it's amazing so i yeah i go to the movies that's awesome do you play video games no because i know that some of your friends do they who richard Harmon, lee Maj dupe they play video games yeah thanks guys for inviting me <laughs> <laughs> Um, <laughs> no, I, I, you know, I used to play them with my brother back yeah. then, but uh, I have a PlayStation. I just haven't turned it on in like ten years. Yeah, we watch movies through ours. Um. Yep, <laughs> mine's, mine's a DVD machine. Yeah, exactly. Um, okay, we were talking. I mean, we've spoken a lot about you go you 
finding the magic, you chasing the magic and accessing the magic. But it's kind of cool to know that that your work is magical for others. I'm, I'm, do you see I'm trying to segue into, into conventions? I and um, one of the reasons it took us so long to get you here is that you have been traveling a lot. I've been away for a long time. A long time. And I know one of, the, one of the things you've been doing is traveling to conventions. We talked, there are some that you've been going to for ERP. Mm-hmm. And then some that are non-ERP convention. What was your first foray into this convention world? And what has it been like? Like, what have you learned from, from those people who are chasing magic? And, Everything. And, yeah. I've learned so much going to conventions. I yeah. know there's, whole, there's this whole convention idea that it's like some actors don't do conventions because it's looked down upon or whatever. And then. And I was one of those guys. I thought that's what you do after your career is over. Right. That's it was like that for a long time, that it kind was. of idea. Yeah. And then I realized all my friends who are more established than I am have been doing conventions for the last 10 years and just not talking about it. Uh-huh. So I was like, <laughs> oh. So then I had the opportunity to start doing conventions um, through the jobs that I've done, the, whether it was Winona Earp or Dirk Gently or The Call. or I started getting asked to do conventions. Yeah. A lot of the genre work, there's genre a lot of, yeah. Um, and I was like, yeah, sure, okay. Seems, I didn't know what to expect. And I went to my first convention, which was Dragon Con. <gasps> Dragon Con was your first? It was my first wow. experience into the convention world. Yeah. Which is, if anyone doesn't know what Dragon Con is, it's one of the wildest, craziest, biggest conventions there is. Oh my and God, so I you got must have felt in. like you were five. I was... <laughs> Because there's a lot of magic at conventions. The thing about conventions is this. You can be a kid again. You're surrounded by Star Wars, Star Trek, all the stuff I grew up watching. It's there. I was a fan, but also a guest of the convention to do a job, which is, you know, we can get into how I see what conventions are all about. Yes. And uh, and it's it's, I I love conventions. I just think they're the coolest thing. Yeah. Yeah, I think they're the coolest thing and you get to be a five year old all over again. Yeah. Too. Well, I mean clear you're sitting in a room that's like filled with like toys and you literally put on my infinity gauntlet out there before. Like I I am and I've said this many times on this podcast, I am a fan of fans. Because fans are they're, I mean, they're, they are the consumers of the art. They are passionate and they're inspired to create as well by the art that they are watching. You know, you have people there who have sewed their incredible cosplay and, and painting and comic books. And I, oh my God, I've seen so much incredible art of the Rowdy Three as well on my, on my uh, Twitter, Twitter timeline. You know, so like, what are some of the things that you are learning from your interactions with these fans at conventions? Well, that's, that's, the beauty of it is it was the first time I was face to face with people who were moved by the work that we do. Yeah. Theater world, you're face to face with your audience. They're there. Shared air. Them, yeah. You hear them, you meet them outside. Film and television, we don't. They watch us on a screen, it's completely disconnected and removed. Yeah. You sit at a convention and People come up to you, and they have spent their money. They've spent their their time. They this is their vacation to meet you. Yeah. You can you can't turn your back on that. It's it's a special thing mm-hmm. that you are now. You have an opportunity to say thank you to them. Yeah. That's what conventions are about. It's all about them. It's not about you. It's not about the actors. It's not about the talent that they bring in or the the the, the artists. It's it's about the fans. It's yeah. all about them. We're just the reason that they come to one place. But they're meeting each other. They're they're making friendships with each other. It's a convention is a place where people who may not feel included, they may not feel a part of something, they might feel alone, have a time where they can come to one place and meet people like themselves yes and it's beautiful i've seen people get engaged at conventions married um people who have huge social anxiety issues that have now friendships that they'll have their whole lives 
I see that kind of magic and I kind of get worked up over it because it is that beautiful of a thing. And it's just because of the show that you're on yeah. gave them an opportunity to have this happen. And that's what it's, and then it's for me to give them an experience. Yeah. You know, it's all about them. That's it's all about them. That's you beautiful. Come and they come and talk to you and it's your opportunity to say thank you to them because without them I'm out of work yeah you know and the thing is I was them yeah I'm exactly like them that's true I used to write my actors my favorite actors uh, letters and put it in the mail yeah okay, we didn't have conventions when I was a kid yeah and you wouldn't get a reply or I would write to my favorite actor and I would get a reply and he, he would send a autograph headshot with the wrong name on it oh I'll never forget it. Oh. It was like, best wishes, Samantha Dugan. I'm like, who the heck is Samantha Dugan? <laughs> but it didn't matter. Samantha Dugan, if you're listening, Michael Eklund has the picture. And you that might you have wrote my, my autograph <laughs> shut up there of Mark Singer. But, uh, but I wow. was those fans. Yeah. You know, so I get it. And, and it means a lot to them. And it means a lot to me. I take it very personal when I get to meet yeah. someone who's excited or was moved by work that I've done yeah do you think a lot about um five-year-old you the all, five yeah all the time yeah all the time what do you think every day yeah what do I think I think about I think just every aspect of who I was from the process and the story that's been told up to this moment it keeps you on path. It keeps you grounded. It keeps you humble as yeah. heck. And uh, I think it's important never to forget that five-year-old version of you and yeah. who you are. It keeps things magical, basically. You lose the magic and yeah. you're done. Yeah. You're done. Might as well go do something else. Yeah. Once I lose the magic or the joy for this, then I'll open up a flower shop somewhere. And yeah. Sell people flowers. <laughs> magical that's, that's flowers. Too. Yeah. Oh, chasing magic. I love it. You're chasing pretty magical. Magic. A pretty magical person, Michael Eklund. And I have to say, after this interview, I, I will not be intimidated or scared of you no, <laughs> when I see you, see you anymore. On the street, come say hello. <laughs> That's all acting. I mean, we could have gone that whole thing. You know, I get, you know, offers for work and, oh, do I have time for another story? Of course you do. I got, I got a, a, a movie offer once and I accepted it. And shot in Toronto and I met the there was two producers and the first producer I met him and he was a great guy and he said okay he goes you're a lot different than what we were expecting and I go what were you expecting he goes I don't know we just seen all your movies we're kind of fans of you too and we thought you were gonna kind of be like grumpy and kind of moody and kind of dark and I was like no <laughs> it's acting man and he's like, I know, but okay. So anyway, the other producer you're going to meet tomorrow, he's like such a huge fan. C can we play a joke on him? And I was like, well, what do you want to do? And he's like, I want to tell him that you like you arrived. And oh my God, he's exactly what we thought. He's just a really like intense dude. Yeah. And I was like, <laughs> okay. And so we did. And so then uh, uh, first day on set, I was in my trailer and we had it all set up and he'd come knock on my door and I portrayed this darker intense version this really grumpy moody version of me <laughs> and scared the shit out of him <laughs> and uh but, but it's weird because you know you, you could get away with anything you wanted but i was like i felt so bad yeah being that guy that you know i, I couldn't keep the joke going on for too long yeah but it's so weird. he knows in the end oh, he yes, knows of course i told him he no, knows man, that you're really mikey no, it's weird it's weird how the roles you play Give off a perception of who people think you are in real life. Yeah. In my head, it's all it's all make believe. It's all movies. Yeah. I know that the bad guys in the movies aren't all like that, but it's funny how the perception of the roles you play do affect the way people do see you. Mm. You know, I, I was once on this set and there was a, a girl that kind of caught my eye and I asked her out on after we were done and she just looked at me and she's like, "I don't date this." And she kind of looked at me up and down. And I was like, what's this? This moody, this intense, this dark kind of guy who's on set always. I'm like, that's not who I am. I'm like, that's just what you think I am based on the roles that I've played. Yeah. And then, uh, yeah, then she learned that I wasn't like that. Yeah. 
and that was it. But didn't go any further than that. Yeah, but, uh, <laughs> she didn't want to date you. No, she just didn't want to date me anyway. That's different. That's a different story. <laughs> but the perception of the roles that I play kind of, oh you know, it, it does affect how people see you, which I get a kick out of because then people get to meet you. Yeah. You know. Over and, and so, over and over again. Over and over and over again. Well, please come back. Okay. And uh, at any time. I'm not kidding. We're, we, we're not that far from each we're other. We're really not that far from each other. <laughs> it's, uh, I, I won't say how close we are, but we're, we're pretty damn close we're to neighbors. each other. We are. And it is a beautiful neighborhood. Although I've, I've never seen you. I know. I've, I, like, do you not go out in the date? <laughs> I just haven't been home. I just got back. I've lived in this neighborhood for like nine years now. I've never seen you. Darn, I've been here for four. I mean, I see Chris Haddock all the time walking around. Oh, good old Chris. Yeah, with his hat on. Well, now I'm more interested in all the friends that you've said that have been on your show. Yeah. They're literally three doors down, haven't called me up. Whoa. Oh, boy. Okay. Okay. Um, We're not going to get into that here because, as I say, (laughs) we're a happiness podcast. Okay. Michael Eklund, Mikey, where can our fans find you on the social media? Um, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. You're going to ask me what they're called? Yeah. What's your handle? Michael Eklund. Are you sure? (laughs) (laughs) Michael Eklund. Michael Eklund, look for the blue check. Okay. If it doesn't have a blue check, it's not me. Don't give them any money. Oh. Has that happened? All the time. Oh. Yeah, people make fake profiles. And Wait, you were not stranded in England and I sent $500 to help bail you out? No. Oh, damn. Someone else. <laughs> I was in England, though. <laughs> I'm kidding, but honestly, if you ever get an email from any somebody you know and it says that they're like, they're Never. stuck in England, don't ever send. Anyone who's listening to this, don't send any actor that you follow or like any money. Don't send anybody money at all unless, unless it's like your you're parents, li- yeah, you're like or your family. Yeah, and you FaceTimed with them and you can see them. Please. Seriously. Yeah. God, this is a public service announcement from YVR Screen Scene. Okay, and to you our listeners, we thank you for spending this time with us today. Please, if you are so inclined, leave us a review. It helps us find more listeners. You can find us at www.yvrscreenscene.com. You can follow us on Twitter and Facebook and Instagram at YVR Screen Scene. The YVR Screen Scene Podcast is hosted and executive produced by me, Sabrina Furminger. And it's produced and edited by Simon Furminger. Special thanks to Tyson Braddock and Paul Furminger, we're family business, for technical support, and to Dane Devillet for the original music. YVR Screen Scene is a division of Fish Flight Entertainment. Join us next time for another deep dive into Vancouver's dynamic film and television scene. And cut!